We've all got questions about the Bible and Christianity. Some of us are Christians and want to know how best to live for God and show our love for Him. Some of us are curious about what it means to follow Jesus. And some of us are skeptical of the idea of religion in general. Whatever your background, we invite you into these conversations that strive to take an honest look at what the Bible has to say on a wide variety of subjects. Each week, we will discuss questions that have been sent in from all around the world and try to find truth and practical application in God's Word. If you have any questions, or follow-up comments, contact us anytime by emailing info at broadwaycoc.com. I'm Jed Lovejoy, and these are Conversations with Dan. All right, hello, everybody, and welcome to another one of our Conversations here with Dan. And Jed. Yeah, it's good to be together again to go through, this time, a few questions that have come in from previous videos. So instead of brand new ground, we're going to kind of retread some <clears throat> things that we've talked about before. Try That's to good. bring a little clarification. Um, as always, it is nice when we see the comments and questions coming in on the different videos. Uh, we encourage you to continue to do that. Even if you're someone who you don't agree, as long as we're disagreeing or working through things in a polite and you know conversational manner, it's kind mm -hmm. of nice to work through those things together. Um, and if you do have questions, we try to respond on some, or we save them for videos like this. When Jed disagrees with me, he just tells me what we're going to do, <laughs> and I have to obey him. <laughs> okay. Good gracious. Okay. So, like I say, we're going to run through some questions on a variety of topics. I'll try to put little tags in the video along the way in case you want to go back and watch the original conversation, and then maybe that'll add some more context to the questions that we're doing. Um, the most recent video we did, uh, timeline-wise, for people that are watching, was our Taboo Words in the Church of Christ video. Oh, yeah. Uh, we went through a variety of words there and a lot of things that we don't use a lot or very often in the Church of Christ. Mm -hmm. So naturally, a couple of questions came up from that one. I figured yep. that's a good place to start. Uh, the first one was someone asking about the altar where in Matthew 5, 23, Christ talks about if you bring your gift to the altar. And so they wanted to know what is Christ talking about? What altar is being referenced there? Okay, in Matthew 5, Jesus was uh, still um, dealing with the literal Jewish altar at the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, when he said, if you bring your gift to the altar, he's talking about when you bring your lamb or your goat or whatever to the altar to be sacrificed. Mm. And usually that... Um, uh, offering uh, involved a sacrificial meal as well, where part of the animal would be burned on the altar and part of the animal would be uh, consumed by the person or family that brought the altar. So, I mean, the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So he's saying when you bring your sacrifice, if you have something between you and your brother, then you should go do that first and get your heart right before you bring your sacrifice. Um, yeah. A good passage to reference on that in Psalm 51, um, David is repenting of his sin, and um, I think it's about maybe verse 16 or so. What does that say? Uh, For I will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. All right, so... When David was in sin and unrepentant, his sacrifices would not be accepted. Hmm. But if you go down to verse 19, maybe, or somewhere down around there. Uh, so do good in Zion in your good pleasure, verse 18. 
Verse 19, then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. All right, so the right sacrifices would only be offered from the right kind of heart, mm. see? And if this person is at conflict with his brother and he hasn't worked that out and he's got all kinds of resentment and anger and all those things, then he he won't be in the right frame of mind to to spiritually worship. And it was never just the sacrifice itself, but the heart of the worshiper that was important. Now, to translate that to yeah, us, which the reader asked, right. um, or the listener, um, in um, Hebrews 13, verse 10. Okay, work through all my papers to try to get to Hebrews. Yeah, Jed reads his Bible, he does. Or I make lots of notes along the way. Yeah. All right, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 13, verse 13, 10. verse 10, all right. Uh, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. All right, so we Christians have an altar. Which would be? That altar is our sacrifice that we bring to God is Christ. Mm. And every Lord's Day we eat from that altar just like they ate the sacrifice. We eat and drink, you know, we drink the blood of Christ. We eat the body of Christ. Mm. So that is a sacrificial meal. So when we bring our offering or when we come to the Lord's table, um, our heart being in the right place, a contrite, a penitent, a sincere mm. heart uh, is what we need as well. And if there's some great looming thing between us, us and our brother that we need to work out, we need to work that out and have a good heart before we come yeah. and worship the Lord. So same, same. Okay. In third passage is it in one of the first corinthians passages where it talks about if something is between your brother you should go reconcile that first or is that something that's just kind of been woven together from several passages well that's the matthew 5 in the sermon on the mount that words it exactly like that mm -hmm. um, um we have romans 12 as much as depends on you live at peace with all men you know there's several passages about relationships but nothing just exactly yeah. like you said there so it's more of a that we we have kind of accepted that matthew passage translates to based on all the other <clears throat> stuff we read in hebrews and everything yep there's not a specific passage that would say oh in reference to the lord's supper the matthew passage is there no but in first corinthians 11 the whole tenure of the lord's supper it's a unity mm -hmm. meal and so it'd be pretty hard to have a unity meal when you were like the Corinthians and you were all divided from each other and wouldn't even look at each other. Yeah. Live, you know, in different parts of the room having your own separate meal. So, okay. All okay. Right. That's one. That's one. All right. Another one from that same video. Uh, someone wanted a little bit more explanation about the word rapture. Uh, they, their question boiled down to, is it explicitly in scripture or was it a word that was coined in the 1800s? Is it a special event or just a generic term? It is, well, the, the pronunciation that we have rapture is not in the scriptures because it's a Greek word. It comes from a Greek word harpagmos, harpagmos, mm. but repognos, you know, harpagmos. It's when you pronounce it, somebody back in the stream of things somewhere yeah. decided to anglicize that and call it the rapture okay but it simply means to be grabbed or caught up mm -hmm. and um, so the passage in which the greek word is used is first thessalonians 4 verse 17 
where it says we will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the right. air. And that term is the term that the people that talk about the rapture mm -hmm. are talking about. And that scripture is one of the scriptures. Okay. The problem is that they try to associate that with Revelation 20, which is about the millennium. Mm. Yeah. And um, uh, I don't know how they associate it exactly with Revelation 20, because I don't think the word is there in Revelation 20. Mm. at all but revelation 20 is actually talking about that time after um the great roman persecution mm -hmm. when the church has um a rest from that great persecution right and um the martyrs live and reign with christ for that period of time and um it has nothing to do with what the modern people are talking about regarding the rapture. The rapture, the true biblical rapture, when we're caught up into the clouds, yeah. comes at the second coming of Jesus, which is at the um, time of the resurrection and the judgment and not before the millennium. So okay. I hope that clarifies some. But. Yeah, so it it is a biblical word as far as the basis for it. The basis for the word, where that right. word came from is biblical. And then there is an event as far as it is the second coming of Christ, but as far as it being this larger long-term process. Right, and the idea know. that, you know, you, I saw a sign this week, I was in Boise, Idaho, and it, it said, uh, you know, if the rapture occurs, this car will be missing its driver. Oh, yeah. Well, <clears throat> that could be true if it's the last day when Jesus actually comes and the world comes to an end. <laughs> okay. But then we wouldn't be worried about that car missing a driver because everything else would be coming to a conclusion yeah. too. But yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to some of our older videos that we've done. Um, one of them, we did a video a while back about other gods and whether other gods existed. Yep. And the natural question came up that I'm kind of surprised we didn't explore it more, but so... Did God create the other gods that exist? The short answer to that is yes. Hmm. And um, the word Elohim in the Old Testament means gods, mm -hmm. or sometimes God, depending on the context. Right. <clears throat> it means great or mighty. And so Elohim often refer to great or mighty spirit beings. Hmm. And the more we read the Bible, we learn that those are angels or fallen angels mm -hmm. uh, or demons, see, as we might call them. So um, in Colossians 1, okay. verse 16, in fact, let's go ahead and read Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. Colossians 1, 15. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All right, notice in that passage where he talks about Christ created things visible and invisible, mm -hmm. and then he lists thrones or dominions, rulers and authorities. Right. Now, <clears throat> those words there in that list are the words that Paul uses to refer to demons, demonic 
beings. Yeah, not just like the governor of this no, area. No, he's not talking about that. Right. He's talking about spirit beings. Um, Ephesians one twenty one. Christ was exalted. Read that one for us. Let's see. Ephesians one twenty one. That says, far, far above. above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is to be named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. All right, so when Christ rose from the dead, he was exalted above all these spirit beings. Then if you go to Ephesians 6, 12, he has those same words mm -hmm. Ephesians 6 12 he says for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places all right so Ephesians 6 12 explains what those things are in mm -hmm. Colossians 1 16 they're not flesh and blood yeah they are the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realm so those are these great and mighty beings, these demonic powers, the gods of the Old Testament. <clears throat> one, one more passage to relate this to our questioner. Okay. If you go to 1 Corinthians 10, okay. verse 20, it's actually talking about pagan gods okay. and the sacrifices they make to their gods. Yep. 1 Corinthians 10, verse... 20 and 21. 20 and 21. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with the demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. All right, so the gods mm -hmm. are the demons. Yeah. And These they do exist. Elohim. Yeah, they are they are mighty beings. They're not the creator. They're right. created beings, but they they are the beings behind the pagan cults. And the pagans call them the gods, but they yeah. are the demons and they are not the creator. They are created beings. So we should not okay. worship and serve the creature but the creator according to Yeah. Romans 1. So so it's not that God set out to create these other gods to war against sort of idea, because that's probably what plays in people's minds. Yeah, he created them all, and they were all good, but they fell, and they rebelled. They had free will, and so that's where we got the other mm. gods. Okay. All right. Here we go. Let's go on to a question from a video we did a while back about baptism, and you were talking about the concept of guilt. Um, you want to summarize that just real briefly? Okay, guilt is not a feeling in the Bible. Guilt is a reality in God's mind. And when we sin, we are guilty, whether we feel guilty or not. You can look at several passages in the fourth chapter of Leviticus and elsewhere. Christ, uh, if I remember the question, read the question because... Well, it, it was the question was built on the end of an understanding of what guilt was that we were talking about and what the Bible says guilt is. Yeah. Because they're final question was Jesus didn't die for our guilt Jesus died for our sins so is guilt a sin okay <clears throat> <laughs> I, I think yeah Jesus did die for our guilt as well as for our sin hmm. and and what we mean by that is Jesus died to actually remove the guilt that God holds against us. Um, in Isaiah 53, 
10 and 11, I think. Let's see. Isaiah what? Isaiah 53. Okay. 10 and 11. 10 and 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Okay. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has been put to grief when the soul, when his soul makes an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. All right, so God is going to see the anguish of his soul and be satisfied. So the idea is that this guilt remains until God is satisfied. God's justice is satisfied. Hmm. And the word we have in the New Testament is propitiation. Right. Which means an appeasement of God's wrath, God's anger, which must be satisfied so that that guilt will go away mm-hmm. in God's mind and he will no longer hold us guilty. Okay. So the death of Christ was to expunge that guilt, and it is our sin that caused the guilt, mm-hmm. see? So when he died for sins, he's also dying to expunge the guilt of those mm-hmm. sins, and we remain guilty until the blood of Christ cleanses our sin. <clears throat> so, And again, that's not, I feel guilty. No. And so feeling guilty is no. a sin. It is the guilt you have because you've done something and therefore you are guilty. Yes. Yeah. In in First John uh, chapter 3. Okay. And verse uh, 19. Uh, verse 20. Verse 20. 1 John 3, 20. Let's, let's, let's go verse 19 and 20. Okay. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him for wherever our heart whenever our heart condemns us god is greater than our heart and he knows everything and one more beloved if our heart does not condemn us we have confidence before god all right so if our heart is condemning us even when we're a christian and we're trying to do the lord's will then mm-hmm. we might be feeling guilty for something we did a long time ago for which God has already forgiven us, but we're not guilty. Hmm. Okay. It's, it's not a sin to feel guilty. It's a lack of being able to trust God completely. Hmm. But the more we learn to trust God and take him at his word, then we accept that forgiveness and we understand that our sin is gone and that our guilt has been expunged, and so we're not guilty before God. Hmm. Now, it's not that we didn't sin, but God does not hold us guilty any longer right. because we're moving past that sin. Okay. All right. So hopefully that helps clarify a little bit of that maybe misunderstanding or confusion with those two uh, terminologies there. So here's another one built about Jesus' sacrifice and, and what was going on and the necessity of it. Um, someone wrote in and said, that when they read Ezekiel 18, it seems to be saying that repentance saves us from sin and that God doesn't require death. So does that mean that the teaching of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection was unnecessary? Well, again, you can't read Ezekiel in a vacuum. Mm. 
and Ezekiel is part of a a uh, a long Jewish uh, history and um, Ezekiel even in Ezekiel eight through ten there is the the temple of God and God's presence at the temple and of course the temple was the place where sacrifice was given throughout the whole Old Testament God's uh, remedy for sin in the Old Testament was sacrifice. It was right. death. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, Leviticus 17, 11, the life, of the, flood, uh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Right. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement by reason of the life thereof. Hmm. So God required life for sin. He, he required death of animals for sin. Mm. But Hebrews 10:4 says that in the mind of God as he looked throughout eternity, <clears throat> God knew that that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away human sin and so that's why Christ had to die because of our sin. Now, the death of Christ is effectual for people who repent of their sins. Mm. People who are unrepentant did not back then or do not now receive the forgiveness of their sins. Mm -hmm. So um, let's look at a passage that says that in 1 John chapter okay. 5, verse 16, God describes two kinds of sin. 1 John. John 5, 16. I fought through everything again. There we yeah. Go. You must have those in there for preaching on Sunday. That's what uh, you did. Some of these are old classes. Okay, get down to 1 John I'm sorry, 5, here we go. 5, 16. Uh, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All right, so the sin that does not lead to death, if you read the book of First John, is the sin that we're willing to turn from and repent of. Mm -hmm. And so God cleanses those sins with the blood of Christ. <clears throat> but the sin that leads to death if you compare 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. So the sin that leads to death is the one we won't confess, we won't repent of, we won't turn mm. from, and so there's no need to pray for that. So repentance has always been necessary, but so has yeah. sacrifice. Okay. So trying to pull out verses in, in Ezekiel 18, like even that last verse where I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn oh, oh. and live. But he's not talking about, if you, if you go back to verse 4 of Ezekiel 18, mm -hmm. <clears throat> read that for me. Verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son, the soul whose sins shall die. All right, so there he's talking about the person who commits the sin mm -hmm. must die for his own sin. Right. See? But... Um, atonement is so that that's not necessary in the sense of our spiritual death is not necessary if we have sacrificial atonement. Mm. So even though Ezekiel 18 is talking about repentance and kind of the consequences for the individual, mm -hmm. like you said, it doesn't exist out in a vacuum to negate all the other talk about right. sacrificial necessities in God's salvation. Right. Okay. So maybe that's, 
you could, if you read that passage or someone brings it up to you and they go, oh, but Ezekiel 18. And but you that's read not it, talking about the death of an animal or the death of Christ. That's talking about the death of the person that commits the sin. Yeah. So again, it's like so many things we talk mm -hmm. about. You need to make sure and look at the context of it and see what it's talking about. Mm -hmm. Because trying to apply that to the greater narrative story. Right is not going to be treating it kindly that or fairly fairly yeah mm -hmm. that's okay. right so that it may have that look but put it in context and and you'll see that that's not what it's talking about yep okay um let's go to uh, here's a fun one um we had a video a long time ago about head coverings oh my goodness i know that was fun but in the, in the middle of all those passages about head coverings, it also talks about prayer. And so someone wrote in and they said, so when I read these passages, does it mean that we should be lifting our hands in prayer? Okay, they're talking about um, 1 Timothy chapter 2 okay. and verse 8. 1 Timothy 2 verse 8. If you know it offhand, you can just go ahead and quote it. <laughs> I would, therefore, that the men pray in every place, lifting up holy hands without wrath and disputing. Mm -hmm. All right? So the lifting up of the hands was a Jewish tradition. Uh, there are many examples of prayer in different postures, So, but it was a Jewish tradition. The Mishnah, uh, in several passages, talks about the blessings in the synagogue and the person who led those blessings right. would go before the Ark of Scrolls at the front of the synagogue and lift up the hands. This was the man. It, it was forbidden for women to do. This was a man that met certain qualifications that would go in front of the synagogue before the cap in front of the cabinet that held the holy books, the mm -hmm. scroll. Yeah. And he would raise his hands and he would lead the congregation in the blessings, the prayers. Um, like, for example, Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Yeah. You know, Everybody said that with him, but he was the leader of the blessing. Hmm. See? Yeah. And so it's quite obvious in that passage, Paul's synagogue background because he's talking about the men yeah. leading the prayers, but he says they need to lift up holy hands. Mm -hmm. Now, in the Mishnah, um, <clears throat> if the guy was um, had certain um, uh, professions, like if he was a, a tanner and his hands were all dyed, mm -hmm. you know, he was not qualified. He was he was unclean. He couldn't go live. You know. Oh wow. And there were certain other jobs if, if he'd done. I think maybe the gathering of excrement or something off the streets or whatever. Yeah. But he couldn't do this. It's been a while since I've read all the <laughs> all the things that were there, Bolton, you know, for those yeah. people. But only certain people could do this. Hmm. And um, you had to be a male of a certain age and so forth. And so when Paul says lifting up the hands, the picture that he's putting into the minds of those people is the guy standing at the front of the synagogue mm. that's leading the congregation in the yeah. in the prayers. So it's not <clears> a <throat> binding thing that he's saying. So we must you, lift up the hands. When you lead a prayer, you should lift your hands. No, it's just it was a custom that they did. And there are many other passages about, you know, uh, Paul knelt down on the beach and prayed, you know, and if, uh, 
Acts 20 with the elders at Ephesus yeah. and you know Jonah was all wadded up in the belly of a fish and you know we could go on and on with all kinds of different postures sure. of prayer but that was the tradition in the synagogue okay the Jewish synagogue so not a, a binding <clears throat> necessity but if someone wanted to do that there's nothing at all wrong with doing that okay all right and then one last one we always get a lot of questions about the chronological order video. There, mm -hmm. People always have questions about yeah. why the Bible is structured or different things. And so someone had just the general question, does Job predate the writing of Genesis? There's no way to answer that question. Um, <clears throat> the Some of the rationale behind it, Job was obviously in the first chapter a patriarch that that led his family as far as the uh, spiritual life sacrifices, etc. However, Job was not an Israelite. Job was an Edomite, mm. and so um, the law of Moses didn't never did apply to anybody but the Israelites. Right. And so priesthood, as far as the Levitical priesthood and all that, wouldn't have applied to any other person in any other nation besides Israel, anyway. So um, if if people were worshiping God, they would have been doing it probably similarly to what Job did or Abraham did or yeah. whatever. So in a familial setting, sort of in idea. a familial setting. And so there so the rationale on that, a lot of it has to do with that, I think, and that is not necessarily a key element because he wasn't an Israelite. <clears throat> um, there may be other things that I'm not getting off the top of my head. Um, but uh, many scholars do believe that Job is very old. It could be as old as or almost as old as Genesis. I don't know that there's any definitive way of making that judgment. Yeah. Since okay. Job was an Edomite. Yeah. So it's old. The setting is old, but we don't know for sure. Like order of writing. This was definitely written before. Or after. No, think about this when it comes to biblical order. There are some books that naturally are together. Uh, the Pentateuch. It's mm -hmm. clearly a sequence of five books. Right. Joshua clearly follows the Pentateuch because Moses gave the leadership over to Joshua. Mm -hmm. And then here we go. <clears throat> so some of those are clear. First and second Samuel. First and second Kings. Those are sequential. And that's obvious yeah. from the history and from the story itself. But um, think of the... In, in the ancient times, the books of the Bible were not under one cover. Mm -hmm. They were scrolls stuffed in cubby holes. Yeah, kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the prayers. The Ark of Scrolls. Yeah, yeah they were stuffed in cubby holes, and somebody just chunked them in there. There's no order, yeah. you know. And so um, the placement of Job in our Bibles is, is some uh, person at some later date or persons that just decided that since Job is poetry, yeah. and it is a drama, not that it's not historical, the guy, but it is in the form of a drama, mm -hmm. and it's poetry, yeah. so it should be classed as a type of literature with poetic books like Psalms and wisdom literature like Proverbs, because Job has a wisdom message, you know, for right. everybody. Yeah. And Ecclesiastes. So <clears throat> because of the nature of the book, it was chunked in there in a category much, much later um, with with poetry. Okay. Yeah. 
Now it is it is part of in the Jewish Bible and Hebrew Bible the writings, which is the poetic section includes the poetic section, but there are other books in that section. Um, actually, as we pointed out before, the last books of the Hebrew Bible are First and Second Chronicles, mm-hmm. which to many people doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> that's another story for another. There you go. Time. Well, thanks for that. That was my last one. Uh, for there's other stuff that we've responded to online, and there's other comments that have come in. But that's a good rundown of some of the questions that have come in. Just really here in the last probably three weeks. That's great. So so we appreciate all of those that are coming in. Keep them coming. We'll try to respond to them as best we can along the way. And hopefully this has been fun to revisit a couple of those things. Maybe you've had the same questions. Um, And Dan, it's always fun just to kind of pepper you with with stuff and see where we go. And, And anybody out there that is, you know, really struggling with major things that you don't understand why this or that or what does the Bible teach, Write those things in so that we can discuss those things, and and we appreciate your questions, and we really try to to give them an honest answer the best we can. If we don't know, we'll just say we don't know. So mm, there you go. All right. So thanks again for tuning in. We appreciate everyone who likes and shares and all those different YouTubery type things. Uh, it really does help get the message out there and spread these teaching materials to other people who would benefit from Now, it. does like mean that I actually like something, or does that just mean I push some dumb that, button? That's clicking the button. Oh, my goodness. I know. It's so hard. Okay. It's so hard. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. See you next time. Thanks again for listening to these weekly conversations between myself and Dr. Dan Owen. Conversations with Dan is an outreach and teaching ministry of the Broadway Church of Christ in Paducah, Kentucky. You can find us online through most of the major social media sites or through our website, broadwaycoc.com.